0: Like if I want to really live up to the highest potential, highest level of my self-actualization, then I have to keep asking myself, why not me? Why can't I do this? You know, how Mm -hmm. hard can it be? And it's such a dumb, naive question, but without that kind of chutzpah, you can't leap into action Mm -hmm. and take a shot. Otherwise, you're, Mm -hmm. you're living in your head too much.
1: Hello, KP. Thank you so much for joining. I can't, I can express how excited I am
0: to have you here on the call today. Thank you. It means a lot. Um, you know that you invited me, especially because I feel like I have a very, very tiny, teeny role in this podcast, the whole series, the whole show coming to life because you were part of the podcast program, and you were one of my favorite students. You were one of my favorite action takers, and you really took what we were talking about in the fellowship, in the cohort, to action. And here I am in the full circle moment as a guest to you. So stoked. Yes. Well, I was, I would add on to that and said
1: it is not just a teeny tiny. Um, <laughs> and later we're going to talk a little bit about belief capital. But I would say you, you are one of the reasons why this podcast is here. Listeners, why you get to hear my voice is because you have contributed one of the the whispers that made me realize, like, "Huh, this is something I can lean into, and something I'm gonna keep exploring." So I so appreciate having you here. Is like you said, it's a full
0: circle, and it just feels great. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm stoked. I'm excited. Um, yeah. It's also one of the, one of those things where I felt right from my right from the early days when I got to know you, Andrew. I really felt there was a sense of, you know, mutual appreciation and a sense of connection. And it's hard to. Place why maybe because I was also into no code. You were also into no code a few years ago, yeah. but I don't I don't believe that it's just the tangible reasons. You know, there was some some intangible gravitational pull that I feel like um people who operate from deeper parts of their core have towards each other. So it's kind of like yeah. in in basketball terms to say game recognizes game. You know, I felt the same vice versa. Hopefully, where I could recognize a long time ago, and and it's been so blissful and satisfying and, and 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 meaningful to me that we got to keep bumping into each other the last six months a lot more and yeah. i really consider you as a friend now and and remember that call we had two weeks ago where i where i did like a gut check of my n- new idea and a rebrand or whatever with you yeah. and you were such a great sounding partner so i appreciate all of those interactions you know leading up to this so thank you for all that you bring to everybody including me yeah. I appreciate that, KP.
1: Well, I want to kick things off with something that I found kind of in the archives, um, which is a a Tumblr blog called Be The Purple Cow.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) No.
1: Now, my first question for you is, well, one, why did you start it? And like, what does it mean to you back then? And especially
0: now looking back, what does it mean to you now? Wow. Wow. I haven't. I don't think, like, I have about, what, 50,000 people who follow me now. I don't think, like, more than two people know about this. So this is crazy that you went that far. So it's probably 2011 and 12. Yeah, that era is when um, I took interest in blogging, writing. A lot of that was inspired by Seth Godin and his book, the iconic book called Purple Cow. And I read that book when I was leaving India in 2011. just before August. And I moved here for my master's in in August 2011. And then for those one and a half, two years, I was doing a lot of soul searching. And Mm -hmm. although officially, formally, I was enrolled in the master's program for electrical engineering, I really felt that that was not my calling. Like, you know, I didn't mean to just be inside a lab group or research writing, you know, thesis papers. Um, Academics was not my, academia was not my future, it was very clear. Um, So I was soul searching and part of it was exploring new things. And um, Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, what if I took up writing, you know, like just um, expressing my thoughts and ideas. And I gave myself a challenge to write every single day. And I learned that Seth Godin on his blog posts every day at 5 a.m. And he did this for like 15 years or something at the time. So I thought that was like so dope, so cool. And I I was trying to mimic that, do a version of, that um, and mm. at the time, the hottest platform, newsletter platform, or writing blogging platform was Tumblr, and so I enrolled. I mean, I signed up and created an account. But in retrospect, I should have called it something more creative than "Be the Purple Cow." <laughs> but I was like such a big stand of Seth. Shout out Seth if he's if he ever gets a chance to listen to this. Um, I wrote fifty days in a row, and I emailed Seth Godin that this oh. is also. There was a lot of me today. Um, Sort of the the blocks, sort of the bricks of me today have taken shape during those days. You can see a lot of that. This shoot my shot energy, this like cold email, the cold reach out, the fearlessness energy and all of that you know, has been there since 2011. Um, so I emailed Seth and I think one or two times I emailed him, didn't respond. So finally, when I hit a hundred blog posts in a row, I emailed him again and said, Seth, you know, um started to interrupt you, but I'm such a fan and... Look at all this work I created. And it was not a um, copy of any of his work. It was basically like something about action-taking, something about change, like my experiences, my stories. But I knew that he would resonate. So I think he read two or three posts and he actually replied mm-hmm. saying, oh, this is awesome, great work or some, something like that. And yeah. I kept in touch with him through that email exchange. And I remember the, the one memory I have from those days is at some point I hit 300 or 400 in a row Eventually I went to 700, but at some point, uh, 700 or maybe 600, I forgot. But like at some point it was a, such a big number. And it replied, Seth replied to me something on the lines of you're a legend. And wow. it was such a big moment for huh. me that, that point that I took a screenshot, I framed it, you know, took a printout of that email. It was so cool. Um, that, po- that blog didn't go anywhere. Um, of course, one of my biggest retrospectively, I look back, one of my biggest mistakes was I didn't really build in public. Mm. so it wasn't built with the community. It wasn't like putting my ear to the ground and asking them what should I write more about, what resonated. I was, there was no talking to the users as YC would say. I was just kind of expressing myself and writing to the user of one, you know, audience of one. And I think eventually I had maybe like 150, 200 readers, but mm. after three, four years, uh, I gave up, but it gave me a lot of practice in the form of short, because um, it was mostly two paragraphs, three paragraphs. So it gave me a lot of practice in writing which is still paying off dividends. Yeah, definitely.
1: Wow. I, I also love that little additional tidbit that you email them after, like, you said first 10, and then obviously, like, 100. Yeah. Um, well, something I'm really curious about, which, well, for me, you always talk a lot about reps, right? And when I first discovered that blog, it was so eye-opening for me because it... um. It humbled me because you. a lot of time you talk about reps and there's reps that you can see. For example, I think as of as of this morning, you have like 38,278 tweets, right? You talk about <laughs> how often you do reps, newsletter, but even before way back then, you were already putting these reps, right? To, to, to practice, to, to get some stuff out. Um, well, one, you mentioned it was largely because you wanted to soul search, right? You wanted to find something that means out of your, let's say what the school could teach you. But during those early moments, what about writing consistently, writing daily contributed to this vision of, well, one, you, you knew you wanted to find something. And two, I know you were already very motivated to explore founder, being entrepreneur. Why did those things kind of go hand in hand for you during that
0: time? I think um it was mostly trying to find um my voice you know in, in this mm-hmm. noisy world um and trying to like be more of a past more of an active um sort of contributor more of the more of the person who who's in the front seat of his own destiny and not in the back seat you know and i think this that was the fight that i was having that would i let my destiny be just circumstance being the driver driving me the circumstance takes me or would i be mm-hmm. the kind of person who jumps in the front seat even when there's a circumstance trying to drive for you because for, everyone has the circumstance you know at, at, at driving trying to like con- take control of the steering wheel uh and so there's this constant fight that i had back then about am i the kind of person uh who would be in charge of my life you know and so Mm-hmm. I needed those reps. I needed to push myself every day. I needed to do something outside my comfort zone and prove to myself that I am the kind of person who is the CEO of my life, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've said this a couple of times, even before becoming the CEO of the fellowship or CEO of the Leaderbird or what are these, all these companies I started, I first had to become the CEO of my life, you know? And so for that mm-hmm. to happen, I needed to do things like this, which now decades later, looking back, don't matter for the audience mm-hmm. that i serve and people that i who are my customers but it meant to me they were building blocks of my confidence um and my conviction about um you know what kind of person that i i want to be right yeah. so um yeah i i definitely came to america with the dream to be a founder i think that was very apparent to me even on the plane i was just thinking on that long ass plane from india to to nashville yeah. um I was still thinking, like, uh, I was like, I remember thinking very intently about how do I become a great founder? How do I become a great tech entrepreneur? And, but the challenge was like, I don't even know what it meant to be one of these. Uh, none of, not, nobody in my family, you know, first of all, I was an entrepreneur. Second of all, um, a tech entrepreneur, right? Cause tech is such a modern thing and um, startups and tech were not a thing, you know, where I grew up, you know, I grew up in a small village, you know, <laughs> and being a banker in the village was sort of the greatest achievement you could have had, you know? So I had to level up. I had to like really raise the ceiling of my ambition every two years. And that I did a lot of that in my teens and, you know, late teens and then early twenties. And I feel like even now I'm constantly doing that. The work of trying to raise the ceiling of your ambition every, Mm -hmm. every two, three years. Um, Because so much of this is, um, overcoming your own limiting beliefs, right? Mm. Um, I've seen great entrepreneurs today and the difference between them and a fledgling entrepreneur who's filled with self-doubt is not so much the technical skills or the tactical skills because they're learnable. The internet's free. Everybody can learn pretty much anything, no code, whatever you want to learn. But the biggest barrier in the first uh, few levels of this is just self-doubt and limiting beliefs and thinking that you're, you know, who are you to go live the dream that you want to live is the voice that I feel Mm. like a lot of us initially have to overcome. And eventually it becomes, why not me? Which is where I am right now. So Mm. when I see someone succeeding, I'm like, why not me, right? I'm not in a comparison way, but like if I want to really live up to the highest potential, highest level of my self-actualization, then I have to keep asking myself, why not me? Why can't I do this? You know, how mm. hard can it be? And it's such a dumb, naive question, but without that kind of chutzpah, you can not leap into action mm-hmm. and take a shot. Otherwise you're mm-hmm. you're living in your head too much. But yeah, so those, yeah, I think the, the intention to be a founder was there and the soul searching and the writing were to me, I mean, the writing especially was like a challenge to see if I can produce something. Um, and it was actually very, very hard as I think back now to, come out of the identity that I was only good for academics Mm. because my whole identity until 21 was that I was good at math and science. And I was an engineer in bachelor's in India and then master's in robotics. Like Mm. who would have thought that today I would be the building public guy, right? It's like the farthest thing ever. Right. Um, So I kind of built my own bridge from that identity to this identity. And now nobody even bats an eye that if I go up and say, Hey, you know, I am the, like building public guy or i can do marketing i can do sales in fact the fellowship is built on the premise that i know i know something about sales and marketing but it wasn't like this you know initially so yeah. i think a lot of writing helped uh, a lot of copywriting i also did a special copywriting class when i was at Vanderbilt, you know my masters um, i was the only non engineer i was the only engineer hmm. in the class which was filled with art school students and english majors because copywriting <laughs> typically is yeah. You don't see a lot of engineers do that, right? So uh, it's always been an off I I always had a very squiggly path, Andrew, you know? That's something that I, I'm always fascinated at. Like you yeah. know, my path has always been so squiggly and nonlinear. And I just accepted it now.
1: Yeah. One thing that fascinates me is like because you talk a lot about this this deep belief that you could be more you can do more yeah. um you can give more and sometimes you yeah. talk about you can like love more right yeah both to others and yourself but initially and you, you use the word ambition right where where did that come from right you were you were a kid growing up with room, and you were i'm going read told stories about how you know you didn't even have running water growing up right yeah how were you even able to kind of envision yourself into the future around a, a version of yourself that could be better, especially coming from a place that could be, also especially doing it in a way, in a patient way that you weren't like, I need it now. I need to make $5 million by next year, right? Which I've seen some individuals have, right? How, did yeah. you, how do those two things come together
0: to shape who you are today? I don't know. I think um, my best guess of the answer is, Perhaps this incremental, um, you know, leveling up, like I said, right at every mm-hmm. turn, what can I do to level up and rise up, you know, to the next step in the ladder, to the next step in the ladder. And I view, I view, I view like this, you know, um, our journey in, you know, once you have sort of certain sense of awareness and consciousness, I think from there to the day you die. I think the journey to me is kind of like climbing a pyramid or a mountain. And Mm. the mountain is self-actualization, right? Like you've been given uh, this life and you've been given a a set of skills. You know, like some people are sharper with certain things. Some people are, you know, smarter about other things. and But the rest you can teach yourself, you know? And Mm. you have been given uh, arguably the most potent uh, device in the universe call a human mind, you know, like just brilliant. Like you think about how powerful our mind is, you know, and people think like the internet's powerful and people think AI is powerful. Think about a human mind, right? Like I'm watching that come to life with my son who's two and a half years old. And I'm like blown away by the level of intellect, the quickness, the way that, you know, our human beings, we learn and grasp things. I'm like, wow. You know, the other day I asked, was this is dumb off topic, but like the other day I asked him, uh, do you remember what we had, um, do you remember the colors of the cookies we had at the music class? He and I go to this music class, you know, which is our whole yeah. thing. Um, he's two and a half years old. He told me that he had, Daddy had a brown cookie and he had orange cookie. This is from a week ago. I don't remember them, oh. and uh, two and a half years ago, uh, uh, two and a half years like our human mind can recollect memories like that distinctly, like photographically. It blows my mind, you know. I don't think we appreciate. It. So I think the the At every turn of my sort of journey in my career, um, I only did what was slightly out of my comfort zone. I never did Mm. anything that was sensational, you know, ever. Like I couldn't have possibly even imagined. Like you said earlier, the biggest deal for me was, can I make money at all? And I was, I think, I remember Mm. when we moved from Pomoru to Hyderabad, the city and the family was in a financially tough situation i was like 12 13 years old somebody told me that you could actually tutor and i was yeah. like i think um 11th 11th grade and one of my friends told me that you could actually tutor and get paid which by the way i didn't know <laughs> i didn't know you could get paid through tutoring yeah. you know especially if you're not a professor because i was a kid like right? 11th grade and he introduced me to his neighbor who was a rich doctor and he lives in the rich zip code and I lived in the poor zip code. And he was sort of my gateway to the rich zip code where he said, KP, why don't you go? Cause I know you're looking for some money to help the family. And I was third, by the way, I'm like 11th grade, which is 14 years old, you know, 14, no 16 years old or something. And he was saying, why don't you go pitch the doctor couple that you would tutor their daughter and you would teach them math or whatever. Um, um, and then you'll get paid. And so I remember that was my first ever cold pitch. Uh, and I went and I I pitched my academical, you know, my background because I was a very strong yeah. math kid. And I told her, I remember my favorite word. I don't know, some version. I said, I know how to get the 99 because she wants a 99 or something for her daughter. Yeah. And I said, but I'm going to give you even a better deal. I will make her fall in love with math. That's the better deal. Wow. So. She said, that's what I want. Right. Like I think about it. Wow. Any parent wants that for the kid, not the damn like score. Right. Yeah. So she realized that I was operating at a different level than just any other person who is just transactional, you know? And so I told her my own story about how like I hated math and then I fell in love and then I learned, you know, so, um, that was my actual first goal. So I made, I remember I made uh, 5,000 rupees and that blew my mind. Cause my, it was half the money that my dad was making in a, in a month that I made through this one, uh, Thing five thousand rupees is like in in perspective is you know um $35 or something. And yeah. um I was I thought that was the, you know so to your question, the 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 perspective was never how could I become a millionaire at 33 or 34? The perspective was how can I get the next win? Hmm. You know, and for me the next win was zero to thirty-five dollars a month. And then when I got there, then I got how do I go to the fifty dollars a month, you know? I remember again in twenty. Um, at, at, so I also would recognize um, I was not in a hurry, but I was moving quickly. Hmm. You know, I would never settle in a stagnant place of either um, financial stagnant stagnation or personal growth stagnation. If I felt hmm. like I was not leveling up enough, I would challenge myself with something bigger. You know, so in. When I, got the, when I graduated from college in India, my first job was paying me 20,000 rupees, which is um, 225 or something, you know, $225 a month. And I spent eight months there and I quickly realized that is not my future, right? So I realized, I asked myself, what is, what is my next leveling up move? And that happened to be coming to America and then, you know, challenging myself to see if I would do a master's. So, you know, but at any point, if you asked me like KP, would you be a billionaire one day or would you, you know, I, I don't think I had these mega grand answers. Mm-hmm. Um, even now, I feel I have a very strong, deep conviction that I will be a billionaire, Andrew. It sounds yeah. so dumb to say that out loud because I know how the game is played and mm, the, yeah. and I don't even get any, I'm not even like in a rush for it. Because the real fun is in the anticipation. You know? The real fun is not in the actual achievement. The real fun is in the lead-up to that. So I 100 percent know I will become one. As long as I live, I will try to get one at some point. You know, it'll happen like you know, maybe I'm 52 or 85. Yeah. I don't care. But I, all I want to do is make sure that I have the most fun, and I do the most impact to others as I'm doing that. Hmm.
1: well one thing that well the first thing that i was thinking about that made me smile was well just hearing about your tutoring experience because um i've known you now that you became you know such a good teacher you have the you already have the charisma you have the the joyfulness but you also have other core qualities like the patience the the empathy to be a good teacher and i just love hearing that there were some early
0: like roots to that right yeah uh love so funny right like it's so funny i didn't i i also the other thing too is that i never thought like if you asked me because i started so many companies before this i never thought this would be the main thing that would bring me a lot of joy and a lot of growth now right as we're growing Mm -hmm. this and like man like if i don't know if i would pick ed tech and education (laughs) as my number one choice um but Somehow like the, the, your life's calling, your life's work, um, will somehow keep calling you. It will keep Mm. making that phone call and it is up to you to pick up the phone and answer, you know, because it will always, it will always try to guide you towards it. So I have a feeling that maybe, you know, education is the space that I'm meant to be. I never thought I would be here, you know, for sure but maybe, you know, I don't know. So, so for
1: listeners who, who probably don't notice you have had, like you said, you've done a lot of things. You've been founded a lot of companies. We're talking about at least like 18 local projects. We have one, um, a, a project that you spend all your savings on where you try to build with like a development, you know, company to build it out. And you've, 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 you've also um, been program director at two different places. Today, how, did you, how are you able to looking back and know like which phone calls to pick up, right? There's a lot of people calling you. There's a lot of signals saying you should do this. There's a lot of saying like, this is going to be really fun, KB. Okay, you should take a look at this. This is going to be the next fun thing. How are you able to find your own barometer or rubric to be like, ooh, here's what I need to keep honing in And here's what I mean using now to determine what I want to do for the next, you know, five years,
0: for the next century.
1: Next next decade, not century, sorry.
0: Well, I mean, yeah. Um, I do think in decades and sometimes centuries. No, just kidding. Um, (laughs) I think, you know, if you look back, they look like I've done a bunch. Uh, It always feels like a bigger number than in reality where I always felt like I was doing two or three things at once and that's it. Um, mm-hmm. And I try to make sure that two or three things don't clash into each other. Uh, for example, right now in the season where I am right now, I'm focused on the podcast, which is a very different experience. Yeah. So I like to say, like, I'm the CEO of my podcast, right? And so I think about um, how do you, you know, there are all the stages of the podcast journey, as I'm sure you've now known, right? It's it's the how do you pitch the guests and how do you, you know, uh, schedule time with them and how do you prepare the questions? And so all these steps. So but that Division or that media company is separate for me in my mind from mm. um, the fellowship, which is the educational experience, um, and those are separate from the SaaS products that you know I'm playing with right now and uh, I want to build. And so, at, at, at any given one, at any given time, I'm only doing two or three things, so I don't feel like I'm doing a lot. Um, but when you look back uh, with the no-code stuff and all these other things, um, it feels like I've done so much. Um, so. The, the question about what do I, how do I pick, I do actually have a criteria that um, I use, um, which is, there's usually three steps of this, I think. Uh, I forgot, but I've done this exercise uh, intentionally in January. When I, had, I was, mm-hmm. when I was at the crossroads and I had to really make some strong, some big decisions, um, I think there were three parts to it, if I recall. One was, um, is this bringing me a lot of joy? and you know shout out to the title of this podcast right so joy of building um and so if if nothing else if nothing else i want joy to be the factor that keeps me going so that's Mm -hmm. number one and the second question i ask myself is um does do i feel like this um has a compound effect this does this have an inherent compound advantage where if i do this five six seven eight nine ten years It just compounds, right? Some things compound, some things don't compound. For example, that the newsletter, I'm sorry, the build, the be the purple cow stuff didn't compound. So it was very clear Mm. because I was doing it the wrong way. But if you take the podcast, podcast compounds, because I would just keep doing the thing and keep going, keep going and keep going. And suddenly it takes one or two big episodes to blow up or one that is that, right? There's like an upside effect where suddenly one or two big episodes can elevate completely whole game. Or Somebody can listen to the 2021 episode I did with Gary V, which is two years ago, right? Which is a compound effect. It's still paying me dividends that somebody listens to that episode and then trusts me and then builds trust with me or DMs me and says, KP, can we work together, right? So you should always think about the compound effect. Does this lend itself naturally to a compounding thing? Usually, Mm -hmm. as Naval says, um, code and media lend themselves. So if you built a project that's forever... if it's low friction to keep it maintained i think that's a great one right uh if you have a project that keeps going that's can be like a, that's an asset to the internet and if it's low maintenance so no code or code doesn't matter uh, code compounds and also um content compounds right the beauty with content another thing is what blows my mind is imagine if i did an episode with with call and and that was like last year let's say um That if if somebody if somebody checks out that episode, they still get value today, Mm. and I didn't do any work today for that episode. Number one. Number two is ten thousand people could check it out, and I don't need to work hard. Ten million people could check it out. I don't need to work hard today. You see what I mean? Like it's Mm. just it's so detached from my time and my presence that it's such a great asset to have flying around in the internet. You know, so. Um, anyway so i think about that number 2 is does a compound does it have a compound effect and number 3 is um, do i genuinely believe that i'm driving value and this is a tricky mm-hmm. question because a lot of the times imposter syndrome kicks in from and initially you may feel like it's you're not driving a lot of value you're not adding a lot of value um, but you cannot you cannot rely on your own words so i look for other people's qualitative feedback um data is great if we have enough data but sometimes you don't have enough data in, in the early days um so i look for what people are saying about what i'm doing you know if i see mm. the words like thank you if i see the words like this was awesome if i see the words like keep doing this oh my god this was amazing that's a good sign i'm in the right direction right yeah. um and like we so one of my practices is that often i go to our Jot form which is our tool that i used inside in the fellowship. And I read through all of your NPS surveys. And especially I read through what was the impact of VIPF on you? How did you feel this, et cetera, et cetera. And I've taken some printouts of those. And those words mean a lot to me because that's my motivation right now. That's my fuel. Because there's no enough data. I don't have a million students to like draw charts and say, boom, here's the grand data, right? There's no, yeah. we only have 45 people. So, and half the people didn't complete the form. So I only have 25 qualitative pieces so i i have to really rely on my uh gut trusting that data or sorry that mm-hmm. words you know um otherwise i'll be running out of gas very quickly and it's very easy to give up right so yeah. i use the combination of joy um compound effect or compound impact and the third one being do i believe that i'm adding value wow something that
1: resonates deeply with me was well, this idea of you printing out the the printout, like what people wrote in terms of the feedback and how much they enjoy the better public fellowship, was that you know when I started my coaching, I obviously also didn't have a lot of data. One right. thing I started doing was collecting video testimonials, and initially it was just purely for like a i't I was thinking already like, oh, I can display my website like this, it can look cool, but what became a bigger value that I never expected, which I want to tweet about, which is that. There were days that I would doubt myself. I only had like two, three clients, and I would watch those videos, and I was like, "Whoa, I, I did a really good job." Yeah. Like he's genuinely happy. She's genuinely yeah. telling me how much I helped her, and that is, to me, that's bigger than maybe here getting like two hundred, three hundred users on a on a platform that I've done before. Right. This yeah. like hearing somebody say, "You've helped me. You've changed yeah. me. You shaped me,"
0: was just such a satisfying feeling. Yeah. And that's all you're going to get. I think I'm slowly warming up to this reality that until you get Mm -hmm. to PMF, product market fit, which is an elusive thing that Mm -hmm. we're all chasing, you know, and it takes time. Like it takes five, six years to get there. So until you get there, all you can hold on to is this qualitative, you know, did it resonate? Did it make impact? Did it create value kind of, you know, um, responses and authentic feedback from people, right? Like social proof. but. That's that's the only thing you're gonna get. I think the, the challenge is our minds are looking at the mess of the path and trying to use that as justification that maybe what we're doing is not good enough. Maybe we're on the right mm. wrong path, maybe whatever, you know. And the funny thing is um it's kinda like the grass is greener thing. So when you try a new tactic or a new pivot, only the first ten steps are green the next 90 steps are filled with blood. So you might as like, you know, so once you get in there and then you're like 11th step and you're bleeding again, you're like, what? Why am I bleeding again? I'm like, yeah, buddy, this is entrepreneurship. Like the game yeah. is filled to be messy. You know, the game is like set up in a way that mm-hmm. it's hard and messy and, you know, like sweaty, you know, um, the, so there's really no, it's kind of like if you and I were in a uh, marathon race or, I mean, some kind of an ultra, whatever they call these like crazy, mud you know mud race or whatever and then halfway in that race thinking you know what maybe i should have done this triathlon thing with the cycle bicycle you know maybe that would have been easier like how (laughs) like after mile 95 like that would kick your butt too right so it's um (laughs) your that your mind is constantly looking for um an easy way out to 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 justify Mm -hmm. um because it just never has you know we've never been trained um to to persevere through something as hard as on hard. It's a self-inflicted wound. You could anytime quit and go back to Google. So my brain always thinks like I could anytime quit and get back go back to my normal job. Because I'm I'm very mm. liable. I know that. I can easily go get a job in Atlanta. Yeah. So my brain's constantly hijacking the reality and trying to paint as if like, hey, by the way, why are you why this is so hard? You know like it just should have been easier by now. And so I'm always battling that voice you know it's like what i said earlier Mm. in the 2011 2012 era the biggest voice i was battling was would i just be a passive spectator and never live my dream and now that i'm living my dream by all means the biggest voice that i'm having Mm. to battle is um, maybe you're on the wrong path maybe there's a better way maybe Mm. there's a more optimized way you know Mm. in your why are you going through the messy path right And I know 10 years from now on a different podcast, hopefully yours, I'll say, wow, how naive, you know, that's all worth it. It's all worth it. So, yeah. Wow. I
1: I love that because I wish more people can hear that. Well, one, understand as entrepreneurs know that that feeling, they're not alone with it because half the battle (laughs) is that version of their voice. And we all have our own versions of it. They sound differently. Uh, they also are a fusion of voices of people around us, yeah, or peers, or even our yeah. parents, right? Um, and I would say half the battle is is dealing with that, yeah. voice, right, or talking to it, right? Um,
0: it's hard, yeah. man. Yeah. I mean, I wish, I, like, to- I wish, I wish yeah. I could tell you. I mean, this is something I was because I had 16 calls this week with founders, and every founder had yeah. a version of this exact thing that I've talk- told you, and wow. and I was trying to. So it kind of became like therapy calls with me, right? And I was trying to like um, sort of give them a reality that they they have the feeling that because I have distribution, I have brand, I have this you know, personal brand, whatever, a podcast and Twitter or newsletter. And they're like, what they're really asking in subtext is, is it easier for you, KP? Right? Because you have the thing that we're <laughs> desperately seeking and we don't have it and it has to be easier. I'm like, it's not easy. You know, I wish it was easier, right? Um, it's still hard. You know, I think Like 10 years ago, me now, I think I'm a lot more, I have insanely high conviction and insanely high perseverance. I have a lot more, like I have very less self-doubt now. I think that's the one thing I conquered because I don't ever um, delude myself into thinking maybe I'm not a good fit. No, I am a good fit, you know, Mm. uh, for whatever I choose to do. But still the market reality of like, how do I um, tweak the offering of what I have? To the desires of the customers balancing the pricing models like this this is the game right like and so in no matter like i made a tweet yesterday that you could have ran you know 20 marathons before but if you run the 21st marathon with me for together running this mm. you still have to run mm. every mile like it doesn't get shorter just because you ran 20 right <laughs> you still have to that's run that's so true yeah and so the medal is waiting is so for you true. at the finish line so everybody's like Where's my medal? I ran four miles. And I'm like, no, no, this is a marathon. They're not handing out medals. And it doesn't matter if you are the fastest person to reach the 100-meter dash. Or all these early sprints, it doesn't matter. It's the messy middle that we need to persevere. Mm. And then the real medal or the reward, whatever, is on the finish line. So Mm. this is the story that I keep telling myself. It's like, AP, you're on the right track. People are paying you. They're putting their hard-earned money into this. They're paying you, the NPS is high. Look at the signs and the cues of what they want to do more of. Do more of that, but buddy, like it's not gonna get easier. Like buckle up, this is just yeah. how it is. So, accept it. Yeah. Find peace in it, and one day you're gonna look back and be proud of the journey. Yeah, I mean it. It reminds me of a quote that
1: from the book by Victor Franco that talks a lot about how if you can figure out the why, yeah, you, know, then you can deal with the how. Yeah. Right. And I hear you talk a lot about your why around the purpose. And I want to zoom in on the the word value, because when people think around the value, they may think a lot about, you know, a lot of like business sense, like, oh, I can solve a solution, right? But Because I know you longer. I know for you, the value means so much bigger. It means from doing things from a place of service. Yeah. Right. And that's hard for people to comprehend, (laughs) right? In terms, especially in the entrepreneur's journey. So what does that mean for you? And how has that also been part of the why that made this just a little bit easier?
0: I think, yeah, first fundamentally, my maxim is that I equate, like there's a sticky note somewhere. I have to find it. It says business equals service and service equals joy. Mm -hmm. That's me. And um, I think Mm -hmm. it was Rabindranath Tagore, who was a uh, famous Indian poet who wrote this, that um, something on the lines of like, He was searching for joy in the world and suddenly he stumbled into service and he found joy and he realized service was joy. Like some version of this, it's not exactly this. And I fully resonate with it. You know, uh, every time I was searching for happiness, I was searching for something like uh, joy. It always had a component of offering something, you know, selflessly to somebody with no thank you, no expectations, nothing. You know, no anticipation of reward. Just offering something because it's just the right thing to do. It's just something that I wish somebody would do for me kind of thing, right? And that has Mm -hmm. always left me with more happiness and more joy. So I realized that the biggest game I'm going to play for the next 50 years is going to be business, right? Like I'm going to be, like Steve Jobs said, something on the lines of um, your work takes up 70, 80% of your day. For me, I love my work. So definitely 70, 80% of my life is going to be work. So I tried to hack that and say, instead of trying to do business in a one way and then nonprofit activities and all these other charitable things on the side for like two percent, three percent of my day, what if I built my foundation of my business life with service and mm. and and kindness and value? Um, that doesn't mean I don't charge people money. That doesn't mean like um, you you know it's like a, a charity. Uh, it means operating from the core principle of. I want every customer to feel like they ripped me off. And that's a good thing. Because hmm. you know, they will tell their friends and say, you got to go get to that KP thing. It's a crazy thing. You know, like, I want people to feel so indebted you know, um, to whatever I do hmm. that here's a person at every interaction that person gave more than he took. Because the, the business world hmm. is filled with takers. So to stand out, hmm. to me, it's, it's actually strategically very smart From an MBA point of view (laughs) to be a giver, but Mm. I'm not doing it from the MBA point of view, but even personally, it makes me feel amazingly satisfied going to bed, thinking that today I give more than I took from all my meetings, all my sessions, all my events and everything.
1: Yeah. And I can see it as well. one. I want to first call out how as someone who went through your building public (laughs) fellowship, I also pay for it. Right. Were twice actually. You did do you,
0: <laughs> you did too. Do, do yes, board.
1: with the podcast fellowship as well. But absolutely everything you just said, I felt that right. And even as a you know as a payee you know, there's a part of my rational boy is like, oh, am I gonna get my bang for the buck? Right? Am I gonna get value? But I remember, and I think I said to you, which was like, initially, I, I already got the return, which was how good I felt, mm-hmm. just being your sessions, feeling the giving that you're giving. We're not talking about the bullet <laughs> points yet, you know, all the lessons or challenges, just those sessions, how I felt I already felt that. And I can imagine your end, you're giving so much and it feels so good. You're going to bed smiling. That also makes it easier to just wake up and do it again. Yeah. Next cohort, which is coming out in a few, few days.
0: Yeah, exactly. Imagine that. That is exactly it. You know, it's just the, the, the wow. intrinsic joy from, from feeling like, Hey, I don't really have, I don't. I'm not really working, working, you know, I'm just serving people and I'm helping them. And only a few will resonate initially, right? And being okay with it, being mm-hmm. humble enough to realize that only a few will resonate, but the ones who did are the right ones. And I'm grateful for them. You remember how many times I gave a thank you in the beginning and the afternoon. In the, and, and like it's, the, the slides always had a version of like, thank you for taking a bet on me because I truly believe it 10 years yeah. from today it would be way easier to take a bet on me or the fellowship or whatever I built. Because 10 years from today, Mm. I would have that much of brand, that much of proof, that much of whatever, undeniable proof. So now it's mostly trust. So you guys trusted me, you know? And so I take that very seriously. Mm. I take myself very lightly, but I take the responsibility very seriously. And so every session, all I thought about was, I remember Tal was saying, KP, your slides were um, brilliant. Like every slide was just a banger, you know? And I said, yeah. that's, that's partly because I'm also tired of like fluffy slides that have no value. You know, I'm very impatient in terms of like, give me the value. Uh, and partly yeah. because I genuinely want everybody who came to the fellowship or to listen to the podcast, whatever I do at this point of my life, I think I want everyone to feel that, yeah, KP just really, really, really gives and tries his hard hardest. Um, in, in putting love and, and hard work into something, you know. I still, frankly mm-hmm. though, Andrew, I still think that um, I could do more. That's the funny thing, right? That's the thing, right? You never know when you have done uh, really well. Um, that's why this, this, whatever I do, I'm going to continue doing this, especially the fellowship and, and the cohorts and everything, because I get a chance to read, I get a chance to iterate on what's working. So I can make it better and better and better. Wow. I love that,
1: um, and I'm so grateful I got to witness this. this um, I would say early, pretty early on because I do believe that you're gonna, you know, three is such is gonna be such a uh, bip. Three is such a small number compared to the journey you're gonna have. Yes. Right? Um. Well, I would like to always like to leave listeners with some something they can take away. And so, what is a a challenge that you could give out for a listener who is either an inspiring or even a entrepreneur um, who's either thinking about it or is struggling
0: with this journey. So uh, a challenge as in a, maybe a question to think about or, or -hmm. a call to action or what would, in what way?
1: Uh, Either, it could either be like a, a something that they can take away or something they could try doing.
0: Yeah, the thing that comes to mind is um, just offering a sense of it's gonna be okay to everybody who is listening. Mm. Um, you may be aspiring founder today. One day you'll be full time founder. You know, actually I went through three stages, so I'll probably talk about those three. You know, you may be an aspiring founder for a long time, like I was, and then you'll be a part time founder like I was, and then now you'll be a full-time founder like I am. And knowing that, um, in every version of you, your real job is to keep moving forward and being graceful to yourself. Right. Um, I wish the younger version of me, the the 2011 version had the wisdom that I have now, but you can't, that's not how it works. Right. Wisdom comes through failure. Mm. Wisdom comes through experience. Um, and um, you, you just, you know, that's not how it works. So I, I'm always in, in my daily journals or in my, my meditation, I'm always giving grace and gratitude to my younger versions of me. Because if any one of them gave up, I would be here. They had seen mm-hmm. so much shit in their life, so many hurdles, so many um, obstacles, dead ends, visa issues you know, like financial troubles, um, you know, so much pain that they, they those versions went through for me to be on this pod and like rock it, right? So this version has to absolutely always give gratitude instead of thinking, man, I could have done this or I should have done this, you know? So I'm always giving grace. And so I wish the same for you all, you know, is to give your younger versions a lot of grace and a lot of love and a lot of gratitude because without like, there's a great quote that I once read that um, if you want to know how powerful you are, remember that you survived every one of your worst days. Whatever you labeled as the worst day ever in the past, you survived it. That's why you are here. So instead of thinking that, man, why do I always get, keep running into worst days? In fact, feel like a victor where, damn, no, no worse day could take me down. Right. A small shift in mindset. Um, and so I always think about that. I'm like, um, like so much gratitude to my, to my past and, and, you know, and just, you know, just, I think if we all could be a little bit more graceful to each other, um, there world be a better place. I think, um, because we're, we're putting too much pressure on each other. <laughs> I think subconsciously, you know, nobody I know who is who's successful, who's super, you know, like elite by any means, is crushing it any every single day. I know them really well. I'm very close friends with some of them. On a day-to-day in the micro, if you look at look at what they're doing, it's all messy. It's all messy, and it's all squiggly, and it's non-linear. It doesn't make sense. But if you zoom out and look mm. at the macro, it makes sense. So, you know, um, hopefully that can help you realize that if your life is going through a messy phase that's okay you know there's light at the end of the tunnel
1: i absolutely love that um and kp i can always count on you for shining your light and just make me feel so warm and bubbly inside um so well thank you so much for your time i've had the Greatest pleasure to be able to kind of interview you on this podcast, and
0: I I've enjoyed it every second of it. So thank you so much for joining. You too, and I loved it. And I felt I felt like the time just passed passed so quickly, which is always a great sign, you know, um, both as a host and a guest. So thank you so much, Andrew. Thanks for having me. And I'm super excited for the rest of these episodes, and like your podcasting journey. You know, it means a lot. We need. I always say this. We need a lot of authentic, um, you know. And, and graceful voices in the podcasting game. You know, we don't. We need mm. yet another sports podcast that's talking about, you know, I don't know, Boston Red Sox or whatever. You know, we, it's cool. Like, I'm. I'm not saying we should not, but I'm. We need a lot more people who are deep and thoughtful in the podcasting game. You know, that's partly why I do my thing. Mm. Same thing with entrepreneurship. I, I, I'm always rooting for people like you because I'm like, we need more voices that are authentic in the arena. Uh, Not in the sidelines. So wish you all the best and I'll uh, keep in touch.